Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Are you an entrepreneur? Do you want more out of life than just a paycheck? Well, maybe you've realized that the nine to five scene chasing the almighty dollar isn't enough for you. Well, many entrepreneurs are looking for more out of their career than just paying the bills. They want to inspire and empower others along the way. Well, if you're one of those people looking for deeper meaning, Today's show is just for you. Our guest, Giovanni Marsico, is the founder and president of Archangel Academy, a coaching and mastermind organization that shares marketing, innovation, and revenue-generating strategies with big-hearted entrepreneurs from around the world. He's going to share with us how to incorporate purpose and meaning into our professional lives. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Giovanni. Thank you, Teresa. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, well, my pleasure. So, Giovanni, so many entrepreneurs today, so many groups out there and people out there use this concept of mastermind. And I think Napoleon Hill is the first one to have coined that term, not the concept, right, but the term. What does mastermind mean to you? Wow. So, there's another term I love, uh, and the word is senius, which is um, S-C-E-N-I-U-S. I'm a bit of a word geek, so I love words. And essentially what it means is, is group genius. So for me, masterminding is a bunch of people who share the same values and beliefs. Um, they're at a specific, you know, they have things in common, and they want to share resources, share wisdom, share ideas, so that it benefits the group as a whole. I just learned something. I've never heard that term "genius." So, is it <laughs> is it taken? Is it like similar to genius? It, yeah, it, it, it essentially means group genius. So it's it's spelled like genius, S E N I U S. Yeah. Yeah. How very cool! I I was not familiar with that concept. Or that Here's another word, word you'll another word you'll love. Uh, junto, J U N T O. It was. I'm. My mind's drawing a blank at which president it was, but during the 1800s, one of the U.S. presidents had a mastermind group, and that was the word he used for it. This is way before Napoleon Hill. Well, there's a biblical concept, and I'll mess up the verse, I'm sure, but, you know, when two or more come together in my name, right? Sure. Um, there's a power greater than an individual when a group comes together, and especially when they come together for um, a, a similar purpose or to build each other up. And so this is basically what you're doing with the Archangel Academy, Correct. Absolutely. So how did you come to find or, or to start such a unique organization? And tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when someone asks me what I do, since it's such a, an interesting, unique thing, my, 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 new, my current response is that I'm a talent scout, a curator, and a connector for superheroes. And that usually leads them to say, huh, what, what do you mean? And, you know, so if someone says, what is Archangel? The first response is that it's a community first uh, or a tribe of 
big-hearted, mission-driven, successful entrepreneurs who are super giving, and they they literally want to put a dent in the in the universe with the work that they do. So they're they're each have a mission that to change the world in their own unique way. It could be the world at whole, or their community, or just the people around them. But we each have some kind of mission, and the company I've created is essentially the community itself and live immersive experiences where I get to bring the community together, almost like having family reunions for awesome people. And Archangel Academy is our annual flagship event we do every January in the Los Angeles area. So it's a two-day private mastermind where we're all there to contribute, to share our gifts with each other, to help each other grow so that we can build a bigger business, but at the same time, create more impact. And before you founded Archangel Academy, you have been quite the successful real estate investor and entrepreneur. Yes, I has. I has. I, yes, I was. Um, and I guess I still am. So, you know, I, I built my success, my entrepreneurial success in Toronto's pre-construction condominium investment world where I would sell those investments to investors, and I'm considered one of the top people in that space. And the interesting thing about it is that while I was financially successful, I was miserable and not happy. So it was success without fulfillment, which I think happens to a lot of people. And, you know, part of my mission now is to show people that you can have both and you should have both, and you can actually create the success from the fulfillment. So it's a really interesting phenomena, and I know that it's something that happened to me, right? When you're starting out in business and success seems so elusive, you know, you look you look at other people that appear to be successful and you're you're driven for for making it. You're driven to have a successful business. And then once you have a successful business, and that's subjective, of course, um, you realize, okay, what's next? And some of us, I know this is true for me, it's always about, you know, what's next? What's what's the next goal that I'm going to achieve? And what's the next objective that I'm going to achieve? And a fellow mentor of ours taught us that living in that gap is not a healthy place to be. And in fact, you'll never get happiness when you're living in that gap. And it sounds to me like what you've done with your your Archangel Academy is help people see that it's not just about success. Um, you can still strive for reaching certain objectives, but you can do so much good contributing to others while you're building your business or while you've, you've reached that pinnacle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I like studying what successful people do and what the trends are. And, and I'm sure you've seen this too, where, you know, people start out, they build a business, they become successful, they accumulate their wealth, and near the end of their life, they become philanthropists and they want to give it all away or, or do things to change the world. And even now, people like uh, Bill Gates and, and Mark Zuckerberg, they're creating their, their living pledge where they're saying, well, now that we're super filthy rich, we're going to do things while we're alive. And I think that's awesome, but I believe we can do much better where we incorporate the philanthropy into the business model from the beginning so that every transaction creates good so that you don't have to distinguish between the two. It's not, you know, for-profit and non-profit. Like, I would actually love to get rid of the word non-profit where 
the idea doesn't need to exist because anyone who's entrepreneurial can change the world through the work they're doing, even if they're just a startup, where every transaction, everything they do somehow creates a, a plus or a check mark on the positivity scale, right? So they're, they're making the world just a tiny bit better. So the founder of Tom's Shoes used that business model totally. very successfully. Who are other entrepreneurs that have done that, that you know of? Oh, so many. So, uh, you know, my friends at Bombas, my favorite socks, <laughs> B-O-M-B-A-S, uh, they have a similar model where when you buy a pair of socks, they donate a pair to a homeless shelter. After they discovered that socks was one of the most critical pieces of clothing that homeless people needed because they're rarely ever donated. And, you know, they make probably the best athletic socks, like a higher-end athletic sock, and they still have room to cover the cost of donating a pair of socks and have a healthy profit to the point where they went on Shark Tank and they made a deal with Damon John, and they're growing exponentially. And then my uh, another perfect example, my friend Gunnar launched a company called Thrive Market. I'm not sure if you've heard of that yet, but they're sure. massively growing where it's sort of a hybrid of Whole Foods with Costco. So you, you, there's an annual membership. I think it's $60. And then you get amazing, healthy products at wholesale pricing so that everyone can afford to be healthy, which to me is massive. And I, I think there's a growing, growing need and trend, especially with millennials, for companies that aren't just cool, but they actually are, are leading a movement. They're, they're creating goodwill, and they're actually creating change in the world. And when it comes to the not-for-profit model, unless there's big money, big, you know, a foundation like the Rockefeller Foundation or the Bill Gates Foundation, right, that's supporting the not-for-profit, typically not-for-profits, their number one way of making making money, right, is obviously raising money, and so much attention is focused on that. Um, it's, it's not the most effective business model. There's a big push and a big movement towards doing exactly what you're talking about is a for-profit model that actually can, can in many times, many ways, affect more change. Right. I mean, I used to be in the nonprofit world. I used to be the president of a Rotary Club, and we would do a lot of fundraising for different charities. And I, I discovered quickly that the concept of sustainability is difficult for that world where they're constantly relying on donors and fundraising and, and, you know, you donate once and then every year or every so often they're constantly asking for more. And typically a lot of the funding comes from entrepreneurs because they, they have a business and then they're donating, donating their time and money to nonprofits. And I think that's awesome, but I believe that people like us, you know, entrepreneurs that want to do good, are the key to making that change because we get how to grow something. We, we get profitability and how to use the profits to make change. We get sustainability. We get the idea of creating a machine or, you know, creating a system that, that you make once and then it runs by itself. It's that old saying, um, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but teach him how to fish and he can eat for a lifetime. And, and we get how to make those systems. We get how to teach people how to fish where you do it once and then it, it kind of runs for itself. I, too, was a president of a rotary, and very quickly, you know, the the donors, you know, there's such a thing as donor fatigue. Totally. 
And after a while in a community, it's typically the same businesses um, that give over and over and over again to the rotaries, to, uh, you know, the hospitals and to all the, you know, all the foundations, et cetera, et cetera. And, And it's fatigued. It's a model that really doesn't work very well. Um, and if you're a successful entrepreneur and you can figure out how to build a model around doing exactly what you're suggesting, um, I think it serves so many more people and it's sustainable. I think that's the most important thing. It's, it, it can be sustainable as opposed to having to go back to the community or going back to donors to, uh, you know, to give. Totally. And the other issue with the nonprofit world is, is all the red tape and, and, you know, crap they have to go through when it comes to admin costs or, you know, what percentage of donations goes to administration versus the actual cause. And there are even solutions to that. So one of the members of Archangel is a guy named Steve Sims who runs a high-level, I'm going to use the word concierge company, even though he doesn't like to use that word, but essentially if you are super, super wealthy and you want something, he is the person you go to to make it happen. And to give you an example, one of his clients wanted to get married at the Vatican, and Steve flew out to Rome and arranged that. And then another client wanted to have a private dinner at the foot of the David statue, which is almost impossible, but he arranged that. And then he had Andrea Bocelli singing to him and his fiancée. But that's the kind of stuff Steve's main business does. But then they launched a separate nonprofit side of the business called Blue Cause, where they do auctions to raise money for charities where 100% of that money goes to the charity because they can use the profits from Bluefish to cover the admin costs. So there's, there's always ways around creating that change and, and doing good while still running a successful business. So you talk about the four currencies more valuable than money. What are those four currencies? Well, I love this topic, especially with young people who are starting out and, you know, I get a lot of people asking, how do I build a business and what do I do? And it's something I, I, again, I've discovered by studying a lot of my peers, people in my networks who are super successful and trying to figure out what is common among all of them. And I think we've been tricked into thinking that money is the most valuable currency. And, you know, so the first one is time. And ironically, the busier you get and the more successful you get, the less time you have where time becomes the most valuable thing. And when we're young, we're super filthy rich in that currency, right? We have so much time, we don't know what to do with it. We we use the word bored. I'm bored. I don't know what to do. It's like literally saying I have a jillion dollars. I don't know what to do with it, except it's time. And smart people, especially when they're young, they trade that currency of time for the second one, which is your gifts. And I love the word gifts. Essentially, it means your skills, your talents, your wisdom, your passions, or the value you provide to the world. And that is the second currency. And it's something you can keep building by investing or trading your time for your gifts, right? And it's a slow exponential curve, so a lot of people don't stick with it. But if you develop those gifts and develop your value, you can then trade that currency for the third one, which is your relationships. And that, to me, is the key of all the people that we know who are successful, um, n- none of us have done it alone. It's all based on our network. And there's a really cool book called um, Your Network is Your Net Worth. And to me, that's so true. And I'm sure you feel the same way where none of us can get to where we are without having amazing, deep, authentic relationships with other people who are 
either at our level or above us or further down our path. And as you develop the relationships, you can trade those in for the final currency, which is your reputation. Or in other words, you can call it your platform or your legacy. And once you get to that point and you have all four currencies going for you, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And the people who succeed the most in anything they do, especially entrepreneurs, they follow this pattern. And, you know, a lot of young people, especially today, they want to skip straight to the end of the line and go right to that last currency. But the trick, or, or I guess the strategy or the tactic, is that you have to follow that process where you start at the beginning with time, trading the time for the gifts, trading the gifts for the relationships, and then trading the relationships for the reputation. And you don't even have money, right, as one of those four currencies. that, that um, So I find that so interesting because so many people chase the money. Right. And money chases this process. The, you know, using the music industry as an example, how is it that someone who has a mediocre talent can sell a million records while someone who's the most talented singer on the planet can't? And, and that's the third currency, relationships. They have relationships that others don't. And then, you know, you can follow this pattern in any industry, in any niche, in any um, industry where it's the people who have all four going for them that can succeed the most. And when it comes to relationships, I think having a servant's heart or having a mindset of serving is what can lead the relationship or what can, what can attract that network and attract those people where it's not about what's in it for you. It's about what, what can you give Right, and then totally, what you're giving yeah. is that gift. Exactly, um, but and I, you know the the key is to give without any anticipation of of, of receiving something in return. Yes, because otherwise, you know, people people read that, people get that. Totally, people definitely get that, and we all know people who are successful who aren't necessarily right. Um, people that have great relationships or authentic people or are leading with serving. Um, so they're successful in spite of um, using these currencies correctly, right, or properly. But it's very interesting the kind of entrepreneurs that you've attracted to your network and, and your people, your tribe, seem to have this as um, these four currencies as something that they're very rich in. Well, you know what? The, with the evolution of technology, the world is becoming more and more transparent. You can't hide things for long. And, you know, people value authenticity. So if you're building what you're doing without using this process, at some point you will be found out. And the whole, it's like building a, a building without a foundation. At some point, the whole thing collapses. And this is almost a, this is an investment in yourself and into your future by developing it, you know, using your time to develop your gifts, your relationships, and your reputation. So how did you come to find what your gifts were? How did you develop them? That's a them? fun question. Um, and I've been having this conversation recently with people where a lot of times our natural born gifts 
are invisible to us because it becomes our sort of status quo, it becomes our paradigm where we, we just assume everyone has the same gifts. And sometimes you need external feedback. And I asked the people in my community, you know, what would you consider my gifts to be? And I'm curious to see how it lines up with what I think my gifts are. And the one where it didn't line up, where I was surprised, and it was something I, I'd never considered myself to be gifted in, is they all use the word connector. They said, you're a brilliant connector. You connect people uh, who are like-hearted, and, and you are amazing, and it's just a natural gift. And I, I kept thinking, what are you talking about? I just It's not something I've ever considered. And then when, when I received that feedback and I looked back through time, I realized how it was just always there. It was just something I naturally did, almost like breathing, where until I was conscious of it, I would have never equated it to being a gift, but now I understand that it is. And now I can actually strengthen that muscle instead of being blind to it. So a lot of times you know, it's great to ask people who are close to you what they value about you, what they love about you, what they consider your gifts to be. Um, and then the other side of the coin is what are the things you are super passionate about? What topics could you talk about forever where you lose track of time? Um, and, and so there's the, the gifts you're born with and the gifts you develop uh, yourself. So did you have a passion for real estate? I mean, uh, your no. gift of connection, right, of connecting right. people certainly is invaluable in real estate. But the, the product, were you, were you passionate about investing in real estate and the Toronto condo market? I, so I, I sort of made myself passionate about it, uh, but it wasn't, I was not in love with it and it wasn't aligned with my purpose. And, you know, full disclosure, I got into that world because of the idea of I can pay the bills. And I can use my, my, my current gifts to, to become successful at this. And I did. But there was like a giant hole or gap using Dan Sullivan terms where I wasn't fulfilled. And, and it's something I discovered going through that process where I hope I can help people figure this out before they go through the process so that they can discover their gifts as early on as possible and then build something around that. So you are a connector, absolutely, without a doubt, right? I noticed that the, the first day we met. Um, but you also had a gift that you developed very young, and it started you in your entrepreneurial world. What? How old were you, like 12 or 13? It depends on which one you're talking about. Ah. So tell us about your, your, your first business that you started in your teens that actually became very successful. Right. So... When I was 16 in high school, my best friend and I started hosting events and, and dance parties for teenagers. And I quickly discovered how in love I was with bringing people together, making them smile, creating immersive experiences, creating cool productions that literally lit people up. And, you know, from 16 to 21, I was hosting all these events. Our biggest event, we had 5,000 people attend um, in 1996. How many? 5,000. 5,000. Yeah, the, the, the legal capacity of the, of the venue was 3,500. We got to 5,000, and then the police came and shut the doors because they realized we were over capacity, and there were 2,000 people outside that couldn't get in. 
So we had to go out with a bullhorn and basically say, go to our competition event because we're full. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How many people were actually in the event? 3,500 or 5,000? There was 5,000 inside and an additional 2,000 outside that couldn't get in because the cops essentially said no, no more people can get into this building. So at a very early age, you were a promoter of an event of over 5,000 people. That's amazing. And this is pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-cell phones, where we actually had to really hustle and, and use word of mouth. And at the time, we had a promotional team of 70 kids where we had essentially one promoter in every high school. And we, back then, we had an affiliate model. We, we didn't call it that or we didn't know that's what it was, but we were using affiliate marketing to fill our events by having these kids bring in people on a guest list and give, giving them like a dollar per person that showed up from their school. So a lot of the marketing tactics we would use back then, I'm still using now. Isn't that amazing? That is so funny. (laughs) And so at 21, you stopped promoting events and organizing Uh, events? Well, I went to university and after university, I got a job at a, a lovely, amazing place called Strategic Coach. Oh, so you were young. Cool. How old were you when you started uh, college or university? Um, well, I was doing it while I was in school, but at 21, I stopped doing the events just to focus more on the school, and then a, few years, a couple of years later, I got into Strategic Coach mm. to run their marketing. Ah, very good. And then after Strategic... I left there in 2005, started a marketing consulting company, and then one of my marketing clients was in the real estate space, and she was a friend of mine, and and I blew up her business, and I used my marketing skill and strategy to help her grow, and then she said, why don't you partner with me and do this full-time? So that's how I got into real estate. Very interesting. Okay. So... Would you say that most people have that misconception that you can't do good or you can't help people and make a lot of money? Um, I believe there's a, there's a huge growing trend of people that understand that not only can you make a lot of money and make a big difference, but it's almost imperative to do both. And there are, uh, you know, especially the, the younger generations where they almost demand it now. They, they lead with their hearts where they, they want to see that a company is doing good. And there was a study done in 2012, um, I forgot the name of the study, the good study, that essentially tracked all of this and discovered that two competing products that were pretty much identical on every level, if one of them supported some kind of cause, then they would get the majority of the business. And that same study discovered that company could charge a premium and still sell the product because people will be attached to the greater good of what the company was doing. The story behind the product, the story behind the company, stories sell, but millennials have a very um, innate, intuitive sense about BS and what's authentic. Right. So it's not about a story without heart. It's about having that authentic want and purpose for helping others. Absolutely. 
And honestly, the, the more the world becomes digital, the more people will crave connection. And that connection is based on common values, common beliefs, a common dream of a bigger future, uh, the things that they hate to see, the things that make them angry. It's all based on emotion, right? And if you can connect with them on a deeper level, that's the company that will win in the future. So I think this goes into your concept of heart share. Tell us more about this. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, years ago, one of my favorite books of all time was called Positioning by Reese and Trout. And it was a marketing book that talked about mind share. And, you know, here's how it works. So if I asked you, or if I said the word cola, which company comes to mind? Coca-Cola. Right. And how about photocopy? Xerox. Right. So these, you know, these companies, they own a position in the mind of consumers. And for the past few decades, that's what ad agencies and and marketing and branding experts would tell people to do. You want to own a position. And you still do. But for me, as we progress and, and moving into the next sort of decade, I think there's a new form of positioning. And you you want to own a position in the hearts of consumers, right? And, and connecting on them or connecting with them on a, an emotional level based on what they care about. And the word care is super important. So if you build a love connection with a tribe of people who all care about the same thing, then they become loyal fans. And once that happens, no, you know, people can borrow and, and rip off your, marketing, they can rip off your products and services, they can copy a lot of things, but they can't copy authentic connections between you and a tribe of people who all care about the same thing. And again, this all boils back to that third currency of relationship. That is so, so true. And, you know, when it comes to, like you mentioned earlier, you know, the more disconnected we become, the more virtual our relationships become, the more there is a need, a hunger for authentic connection and trust. And once you connect with someone, once people know you're for real and you're in business, what you've got to offer, like you said earlier, even if it costs more to do business with you, they will. 100%. Totally. Yep, absolutely. You claim to have learned something really important about business from Lady Gaga, of all people. (laughs) So what exactly did you learn from her? Well, talk about someone who has heart share. And that's actually what I learned, but I'll explain the three things that I essentially took from her and used in my own business. And this was actually last year, so... I, I'm a huge fan of music and the music industry, and you know, I used to, I used to host concerts and produce concerts, so I was always in that world. And over the past decade, the entire industry is collapsing, and it's being disrupted by technology. And artists are selling less and less music, but there are certain artists who just totally stand out. And Lady Gaga last year, at the time, was one of them. And I kept wondering, what is it about her that that makes her different? So I started doing research, and then I actually bought two tickets to her concert in Toronto last July. Uh, I think it was called Art Rave. 
I, you know, I'm not really a fan of hers. Or I wasn't a fan of hers, but I said, I have to, I have to experience this. And I went to the concert and was completely blown away. And here are the, I guess, the three things that I learned. So the first thing is community. She geniusly brands her community. So she's the brand herself, Lady Gaga, but she calls her community little monsters. And one of the genius things she did was she niched her message to say, I'm not going after the traditional pop music audience. I'm going after the fringe. I'm going after the people who don't fit in, the people who are typically bullied, the people who are outcasts, and I'm going to make a safe place for them. I'm going to create a community just for them. So she connected with this group and created a community and a tribe of loyal fans. And not only do they have a name, because I think it's important to not only brand your, yourself or your project, but to brand your tribe. Um, so they're the little monsters, but they have their own greetings. They have their own social media platform where they can communicate with each other, which I think is hugely important. And, and I thought that's so brilliant and, and something I've adopted into my Archangel business where, you know, the word Archangel is never about me. Archangel is the community, almost like she has her little monsters. And the second thing I learned was connection, where she connects with each person in the group and she connects them together. And there's huge, huge value in connecting your tribe members with each other. And the, the last thing, or, or last most important thing, was customize, customization. So you can pretty much watch any concert on YouTube because most people show up with their cell phones and record the thing, which I think is hilarious. But, you know, I, I recently went to a Madonna concert where it's the same act in every city and almost the same jokes in between sets and so it becomes stale because anyone can watch it online. But she, uh, Lady Gaga, geniusly customizes each show for the people in the room. So people would throw things on stage, for example, and instead of having security get rid of it or throw it back into the audience, she would pick up every single thing and incorporate it into her performance. So if you're that fan who threw that thing on stage, you have that connection with her, and now it's almost like the performance was customized to you. Like some kid threw up a Canadian flag, and she stopped singing and danced with it for two minutes. And some other kid threw up a, a denim vest, and she put it on over a dress, which didn't really make sense, but it's Lady Gaga. And then, now this is where community connection and customization all sort of go together. A fan threw up a letter in an envelope. She stopped all the music. She stopped performing, picked it up, walked over to a piano, sat down, opened the letter, had no idea what this letter said, started riffing on the piano, and read the letter to the audience. And it was uh, a 16-year-old girl named Brittany. And this is how insane it was. I actually remember all of this. Um, 16-year-old girl named, named Brittany who was saying, you know, I recently came out to my parents and they kicked me out of the house. And she kept going to this crazy sob story. And halfway through, Lady Gaga says, I, I can't do this anymore. Where is this Brittany? Get her on stage right now. Oh, and they wow. bring Br Brittany on stage. She sits her beside her on the piano and starts... A, singing an acoustic version of Born This Way, you know, that song, except she changed the lyrics as if she was singing to Britney. Like, so I'm not going to sing, but like, hey, Britney, da, 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 da. so she's literally singing the song to Britney, and there were, I think, 20,000 people, and we were all crying. It was the most insane experience, and was, again, you had to be there. So it was customized to the people in the room. You cannot record that and get the same experience. And I left thinking... 
if that Brittany was in the hospital with wires coming out of her and Lady Gaga came to town, she would find a way to get to that concert. And, and that's how you build heart share. That's how you build loyal fans. Giovanni, you're, you've got so many different gifts. It's amazing. You've got a marketing background. You've got a passion uh, and an energy for what you do. I mean, you just, um, it just comes out of you. And then, you know, you're obviously very smart. You figured out a lot of things. You're very curious. Why do you do what you do? That is a fantastic question. Uh, I, I sort of branded my, my life's work or my mission. And it's something I call 10 billion smiles. And the whole premise is by the time there are 10 million, or sorry, 10 billion people alive at the same time, which could be in 50 years, I, I, I want to have touched every life and make them all smile in a positive way, either directly or indirectly through my tribe of, of, of archangels. So, you know, I, I, I've always had this innate need to create change, to make people smile, to change the world. But I, I learned quickly that my impact as an individual is limited. But if I create a community and a tribe of people like me who all want to do the same thing and we support each other's growth, then together we can make a serious dent in the universe. So that's why I do what I do and everything I'm doing is sort of the, the tool that will allow me to do this work for the rest of my life. Wow. I'm so honored to know you. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. So it's not only fulfilling to help and empower others, you know, it's also something you can build into your business model. You can get more out of your career than just a paycheck. If you follow the principles and techniques taught by Giovanni and his Archangel Academy, you can pursue a meaningful career that benefits you and those around you. Just recently, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember being in a very giving state, and I felt a joy I don't remember ever feeling, and I had goosebumps all over me, and I was just in awe and and just grateful to God for having that opportunity, that moment. And Giovanni, it sounds like that's what you're about, right? Just being in that state of giving and purpose. And thank you so much for joining us today on Living Wealthy Radio. And I'm, 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 I'm very honored that you had me on today. Well, you know, may there be so many more archangels out there doing your work, right? Um, and what an appropriate name for your group, Archangel. So cool. God bless you, Giovanni. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.